Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's a military veteran, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, podcast host, and author. It's Scott Harris. How are you doing today, Scott? Great, Alex. How about yourself? I'm doing good. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Well, I live in uh, uh, just outside of Portland, Oregon now, but I've kind of lived all over the world. (laughs) What kind of places or what areas did you live in all over the world? Well, I grew up in Michigan. And uh, but I left there pretty soon. Winters were uh, not my favorite part of living in Michigan. I uh, liked all the water, but winters got a little dreary. I literally joined the army when I was 17 years old at the tail end of the Vietnam War. Not a popular decision amongst most of the young men my age then. <clears throat> but I did it and it was actually the best decision I ever made while I was in the military I traveled to Korea uh, and uh, kind of around the south of the United States, and I took up skydiving, and that kind of changed my life while I was in the military, and uh, a lot of the lessons I learned skydiving are featured in my book, Leap Forward, and it's about facing challenge, you know, learning to be comfortable throwing myself out of airplanes taught me how to face really big challenges and embrace them and, uh, and learn to uh, operate at my, my best uh, level or my highest potential. And I've applied those principles throughout my life to many different things. I became uh, uh, an engineering officer in the merchant Marine. And while doing that, I kind of worked, I sailed all over the world Uh I quit sailing and started up power plants and water treatment plants. And that took me to a bunch of different places. I actually lived in Cairo, Egypt for a year where I reorganized the water, the five water treatment plants there in Cairo. And uh, while there, the only social thing I really did was uh, wander all over the country and study all the antiquities and the history that was there, which was really interesting. But I will say it was a challenging place to work uh, at the very least. I would not recommend taking a long-term job in Egypt or pretty much anywhere in the Middle East if you can avoid it. Uh, It was hard to work there. It was hard to get things done. It was frustrating. But it was fascinating i mean i you know i'm glad i did it but i was pretty happy to come back to california when i finished and i i worked up and down mostly in and out of california doing different engineering jobs for a number of years and i finally quit doing that became a general contractor and uh and and a kind of a consultant and i've done that for quite some time and along that road i started you know, sharing my experience with other people. And that's kind of led me to where I am now, where I'm trying to help other people learn to embrace challenge to perform at their highest level. Growing up, did you have any fun activities you like to do before making that transition to the military? I actually started flying when I was 12 years old. Wow. I, I, uh, and no, my, Dad wasn't a pilot. Uh, nobody in my family were, none of them were pilots. I was just driven to fly an airplane. I literally badgered my parents into sending me to the only uh, private school that I could find in the United States. Remember, pre-internet, yeah. <laughs> information wasn't quite at our fingertips then. Uh, I could only find one school in the country that had a flying club where I could learn to fly and I had them send me there. And I'm pretty sure to this date, I'm the only person I've ever heard of who asked their parents to send them to military school. Wow. I didn't care about the military part of it, but I wanted to fly an airplane more than I wanted to breathe. (laughs) And, uh, and as it turned out, it really taught me a lot. It was actually a pretty good little education for a young fella. And uh, it taught me some lessons that served me well later on in life. And I did fly airplanes. I didn't 
go too far into it because I was too young to solo. So I reached a pretty hard uh, level in where I was able to progress pretty soon. And I stopped and I didn't pick that up again until after I got out of the army and I was going to college and I basically, I took a dual major. I was an engineering major and I was a professional pilot uh, training program. Uh, Similar, you know, two schools right next to each other. And I just kind of went back and forth. It was uh, fun. Was there a skill when you were learning how to fly that kind of found you that you didn't know you could do? Yeah, I just have had a natural affinity for for flying and I've flown and jumped out of airplanes my entire adult life. And it's just something that I have a natural feel for. Uh, I my I have a natural ability to be aware of my, you know, my own body and what's and what's around me, even if I'm not looking at something, I can be aware of it. And that kind of awareness is paramount to flying or skydiving. You have to be you have to know where everything is around you and you have to have great spatial orientation. I took I think my grandparents took me to fly a plane and obviously it was the first time ever, but it was the most fun experience ever. Just being up there, not as high as if you're traveling in an actual airplane, but at a high level and just seeing everything and just the environment. It's just a cool experience that I think a lot of people should take advantage of and try. I mean, I, I haven't done one since, but it's definitely something that I can check off a list that something I did. It's a tremendous feeling of freedom. There's very little that you can compare it to. Yes. You talked about at, you went to the military at the age of 17. Growing, that is correct. Growing up, was that ever, But if you didn't do flying the planes, was that kind of a direction that you were wanting to go? Or Nope, absolutely not. It had nothing to do with anything previous. I was... Uh, I was kind of a misanthrope in public school and high school. I didn't do very well in school. It bored me to tears. And I always felt like I didn't belong there. There was just something wrong with the whole situation. And to be honest, I wasn't going to graduate with my classmates. I wasn't, I, I was so far behind from skipping so many classes and not paying any attention to what was going on. I wouldn't have graduated on time. And I was overwhelmed at that point in my life. And I think a lot of young people are with the idea that I was supposed to have my whole life planned out. Yeah. I think it's really weird that we, and as an adult, I look back and I look at young people and I think it's really unfair that everybody puts this on teenagers, you know, and and it's crazy when, when, you know, when a, when a junior or senior in high school comes around, everybody asks them the same question. So what are you going to do? And they're not really asking them, what are you going to do? You know, when you write, right, when you get out of school, they're literally asking them, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? They're asking them, you know, you're going to go to college, you're going to study this or that, you're going to get this job. And, and it's insane. Nobody that age has the bandwidth or the experience to make that kind of a decision. And it's insane that we make as collectively as a society, we make it seem like they're supposed to know they're supposed to know what they're going to do. I'm 64 years old. I couldn't really tell you exactly what I'm going to be doing in five years. I'm going to be doing something, but I don't know what, what it is. I've changed professions so many times in my life. It's ridiculous. And not everybody's like me, but most people change what they're doing several times, even if they stay in, even if you stay sort of in the same, you know, th- field, you change. I did, you know, four different types of engineering, none of which had anything to do with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's not unusual. And most people do that. In my entire lifetime, I've known one person, one, who just knew what they wanted to do at a young age in their teen years, and they actually did it and had a, you know, a great career. And it was a, one of my oldest friends became a dentist because he knew my dad and he liked the way my dad's life unfolded and he liked what he was doing. And he, you know, he, he went to, you know, he knew in high school, he was taking, you know, um, 
you know, pre-college courses and he was, you know, applying to schools that would help him get into dental school after his first four years. And he went to dental school and he actually became a periodontist and he's had a great career, but I've literally known thousands of people. One of them started out with an idea and, and that's what they did. Everybody else, you know, you change yeah. different opportunities come up different, you know, different things come around. And, and you change your mind, and that's normal. But that's not what young people are being told. I'm, I've got a cat that I can hear meow, meowing behind me. Are you recording that? Are you picking that up in your speaker? Uh, no. It adds an element of realism. Yes, I agree. Anyway, I think it's really unfortunate that, that we do this. And, and we put this on kids and they have to be, you know, and I remember when I was that age, I was horrified because I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I had not the slightest idea. I didn't feel like I was good enough to go to college. And even though everybody in my family was educated and I didn't know what the heck I was going to do with myself and it was depressing. And I just, I was grasping at straws. I had to come up with something and I just said, the hell with it. I'll join the army at least. You know, there's that's a positive thing. It looks like I'm doing something with my life until something else comes up. I had no intention of making it a career. Could have later. I actually loved being in the army, but I've loved everything I've done. I can't do things I don't like doing. I'm not I'm really not good at, you know, drudgery. (laughs) Did your parents know any of the struggles that you're having in school? Or uh, they they didn't understand. They did they didn't know what to do. Both my parents were pretty well educated, and and very smart. And they encouraged me. And they knew that I was smart enough, but they didn't know how to motivate me because I was so fiercely independent. It was kind mm-hmm. of difficult for them to direct me. And it it's not on them. It's you know people are who they are. And it's uh, it was just I just didn't. I mean, I think our school system fails most of the people in it. I think there's a very few people who actually get, you know, get much out of our educational system. It's not, it's not there. It doesn't motivate anybody. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't do anything to try to encourage people to be lifelong learners or to, you know, direct them towards self-improvement and how things are going to help them. Um, I certainly never saw how anything they were telling me was going to help me. Uh, it's kind of funny because once I got out of the army, I went to college kind of on a dare. I just didn't really know what else to do. Um, and I loved it. I did great in college. My first degree is in chemistry and I you know, graduated summa cum laude. I, I was having a blast going to college, but it was it was a different experience for me than public school was. It was, it was a job. I, and I was different. It wasn't just that the school was different. I was different. I was there for a purpose. I'd had an, you know, I'd had enough experience in the military to know that I didn't want to be a peon for the rest of my life. And I decided that the only way I was really going to get any place was to get some kind of an education no matter what that was. I didn't really know where the heck I was going with it, but I just started taking classes and I found out that I liked it. But, and I, and I think that, you know, there's good information available to kids and, you know, in, in, in parochial school, but it's not, there's, they don't do anything to motivate them. They don't do anything to show them, you know, how good it can be and what's in it for them. And that's a complete failure on, on all of our parts because it's great to know stuff. It's great to have valuable resources. It is, there's almost nothing better in life, but you don't, you don't get that in school. They don't make it look attractive, you know, to be educated or to, you know, to have knowledge. It just seems like a waste of time and it's totally unfair and really unfortunate. I think now we got people graduating from college who can barely read. It's it's a national tragedy. It really is because, I mean, reading, learning, you know, self-improvement is the most important part of life. I often say in a lot of my 
stuff that life is a never ending journey of self-improvement. As long as you're on that path of trying to be, no matter where you are, if you're trying to be better than you are now, it's a good thing. And you'll, and you have every right to feel good about yourself. And that's where most of your fun and joy is found is in trying to make yourself better. Is it is, it's not a, you know, a, a goal to, or a line to cross. You never, you never get to the end of that. You're always trying to be better, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in life. If you're trying to be better than you are now, then your life is nothing but positive energy. But if you stop that, if you stop trying to improve, you're just waiting to die. It's horrible. I can't imagine it. You talked about always improving and always learning and growing. I live by the motto, become the greatest version of yourself. And that's always has been t- telling me that there each stage you can get, you can always grow and learn at any time. And that's how I take these interviews. I'm always learning something new, learning something that I can incorporate into my life. And it's the greatest feeling ever because there's no perfect person out there, but we can no. all learn and get better and grow as much as we can. Well, and that's, it's a little sad, but I mean, it, it feels like that's how, what college has kind of become is it's, it's an end goal. You finish, you know, you go to school for four years so you can get a job at the end that'll pay you a certain amount of money. And that's horrible because all, all education was ever meant to do is to get you a start. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to get you interested in learning and get you started on a path. And you're, once you get started on that path, yeah, you might get a job as a result of your education, but it's all they're giving you is an opportunity to learn. It's, you don't know anything yet. I mean, honestly, you don't really know much until you get closer to the end of your life. Until then, you're just kind of hoping you're going to learn stuff that other people find valuable and want to use. And if you don't stop, if you ever stop doing that, if you ever stop trying to make yourself valuable to others, you won't be. When you joined the military and the army, what's the biggest challenge that you faced in yourself and the experience? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't, I mean, honestly, I didn't find the military to be a tremendous challenge in itself. I mean, basic training was hard for me, um, but it wasn't that hard. I mean, I just, I think it was kind of an, it was more of an awakening for me. The whole experience in the, in the army was kind of an awakening. I was, I found myself greatly respected for what I did, mm-hmm. whatever it was, because I, you know, I, I showed up. I mean, that's one of the things you learn in, in the military is you learn to show up and you learn to make your, you know, make your best effort and yep, not yep. worry about what, where the, where the chips are going to lie as long as you're doing your best. And that's a tremendous lesson in life. If you just show up and do your best, you're going to succeed. You might, you know, you'll have some hiccups in life, but you're going to get ahead. You're going to be noticed for the effort that you put out and you're going to be, you know, opportunities are going to find you just because you're trying. Unfortunately, too many people are expecting opportunities to just be there. And then they figure they're going to try. Then they're going to work towards that opportunity. And that's not how it works. It really isn't. It's bullshit that people have been fed this thing that, well, you know, there's lots, you know, you deserve this. No, you don't. <laughs> you, you know, you, you get you get what you get and, and you need to, you know, learn to make the best of whatever you have and put your, you know, and make your best effort. And if you're always doing that, opportunity is going to come to you, not the other way around. It's not going to just, you know, happen for you. Do you feel that whatever task or the item they put in front of you, you were able to adapt and be able to kind of figure it out on the go, even though you maybe didn't have experience in that kind of situation? Absolutely. You have to, and, and that's, you have to do that. You have to be adaptable and, and learn, you know, everything, every challenge you get has different, 
aspects to it, different elements, you know, than previous things that you faced and you have to learn from it and adapt to it so you can overcome it. One of the great things uh, that you're kind of talking around, uh, but one of the greatest things in my life is what I learned skydiving. When I took up skydiving in the army, because it was a tremendous challenge. It's scary as hell. Anybody says it isn't scary to jump out of an airplane at least <laughs> in the beginning is lying or they're nuts, <clears throat> which that's possible. But it, it was just such an overwhelming challenge that I, it taught me to focus all of my consciousness, all of my internal resources on one thing. And, and doing that over and over again taught me to control my focus. And I learned to focus all of my consciousness and all of my resources at will on anything I choose. And I've learned to face <clears throat> other challenges and overcome whatever's in my way and operate at my highest level because of that. It's kind of funny. My dad, I like, I, one of my favorite stories about this is my father is what I would call a, uh, an intellectual spiritualist. He studied all kinds of spiritual things all his life. And he practiced transcendental meditation all his adult life. And I went skydiving and flying airplanes and playing polo and extreme sports to uh, a pretty high level. And we through these radically divergent paths, we both reached the same basic philosophies. And it, it seems on the surface, it seems kind of crazy. But the truth is, is that I kind of feel like the, what, what I did was um, focused uh, meditation. The, you know, what you try to learn in transcendental and other types of meditation is to focus all your mental energies on one thing to the exclusion of everything else to clear your mind and to and to teach you to focus all of your you know yourself on any particular thing mm -hmm. and skydiving and all these other things taught me the exact same lesson when you when you leave the door of an airplane you're not thinking about your girlfriend or your you know the your bills or how your job is going or what grades you're getting. None of that stuff matters. It doesn't exist. You have to, you know, you are compelled to be 100% in the moment. Yeah. And by doing that repeatedly and not, not necessarily, you know, you don't have to skydive to learn to do this. You can learn to, to focus your energies on any problem. It can be, you know, if you're afraid to speak in front of, a group of people, if you keep doing that and face that anxiety and push through it and you learn to focus your energies. And if you practice it, just like anything else you practice, you'll get better at it. And if you get better at that, you can get better at anything else because you can focus all your attention on whatever it is that you've decided that you're going to, you know, overcome and you have more ability than anybody else doing it because you're putting a hundred percent of yourself into it. Whereas everybody else is putting a smaller percentage, shall we say, because they, most people cannot focus their attention that way. And it really is everything. Cause when you can focus all that you have on something, you have a lot more resources than, you know, do you have a memorable moment? of skydiving like a certain spot that you did um well i actually have quite a few but most people ask me about uh i parachuted into L elizabeth taylor's wedding on michael jackson's estate some time ago um <laughs> and uh when i did so i had to jump through a ring of 21 helicopters uh in free fall and then open my parachute and come down and land about eight feet behind the last row of chairs at the wedding. The purpose being to take pictures of the wedding. There was a kind of a news blackout. The only person they allowed on the property to take pictures was one guy from people magazine and the rest of the news media was in a frenzy. That's 
where the 21 helicopters came from. They're all flying around in circles overhead, trying to take pictures out the wind, uh, the door of the airplane of the wedding down below. None of which really came to, they didn't get much that was worth, yeah. worth having. Um, the funny thing is, is the story because they, you know, they black, they didn't let a lot of the news media in the, the big news story wasn't about the wedding. They, nobody cared about her dress or any of that stuff or who, even who was there. It all became a big story about all the paparazzi trying to get in there. And I was the biggest part of that story. Cause I'm the guy who got in <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was, I mean, it was a lot of, there's a lot of things I had to go to. I mean, it sounds like a silly thing, but it was really a tremendous challenge. I was only aware of this wedding the day before the wedding. I had a friend of mine who worked for ABC call me up and tell me that this was, this was happening and it was worth a lot of money. You know, if you could get pictures and at the time I, you know, I had a new, I had a new baby at home and was recently, well, I was married for a couple of years and we had a new baby at home and we just bought a house and, Money was tight. Mm-hmm. And and so I figured out how to do this. I, and it was complicated because obviously I wasn't going to walk out the gate with film. Yeah. So I had to uh, devise a way to broadcast a signal from myself in free fall or under canopy to a ground crew that would record the video signal and then run away with the with the images because I wasn't going anywhere. I was in handcuffs. (laughs) Um, And so it was, it was, it was fun to figure out how to do this and get, you know, find a pilot and rent an airplane and get, you know, put a crew of people together all the day before the wedding. And we're up there fussing with everything the day of the wedding, trying to get it all sorted out. And then when it came time to jump, the wedding was supposed to be in the middle of the afternoon, but, Apparently, the the Hollywood, you know, people tell time differently than the rest of us. And (laughs) we couldn't we couldn't figure out what was going on. But the wedding, it didn't look to us from looking out of the airplane with binoculars. We couldn't really tell what was going on, but it was getting close to sunset and it was still pomp and circumstance. (laughs) So I decided that it was now or never, because once it turned dark, I obviously couldn't jump. Yeah. Couldn't see the, you know, that. That, that was going to take a tense situation into an extremely dangerous one. So I, uh, I just, I told the other helicopters over the radio that we were going to, we were going to go. And I hopped out the door of the airplane and uh, jumped through the, the circle of these 20 helicopters circling the, the estate. And, uh, and I, you know, opened my parachute and flew down and landed. I had my camera on and I was looking towards the, uh, <clears throat> where everybody else was looking up on the uh, the altar or makeshift altar that they had out there. Out, it was all outside. And uh, I was jumped by the Israeli Mossad, who they had hired as security. Oh. And they were embarrassed by me because they had apparently made promises that nobody would get in. <laughs> they really didn't understand American ingenuity. No. <laughs> You tell a group of Americans they can't do something, just don't find a way. Yeah, (laughs) just get out of their way. (laughs) I I just can imagine just you flying down on this like big wedding, and that's what people are talking about. Then that's what actual wedding. That's what everybody talked about for three weeks. I was in the news everywhere. It was it was kind of interesting, and. everywhere in the world it was really kind of nutty that something like that made such a big splash in the news but and they and you know they were all pretty unhappy about that because nobody was talking about the wedding or her dress (laughs) or any of that stuff they were all talking about me and the other people who are trying to get in and uh so i had ended up going to jail for a week And that was not my favorite experience. (laughs) Most people would think, well, we can jail. It's not that big. It really upset me. I really hated being confined. Um, You know, I spent my, I spent my whole life flying airplanes and 
sailing all over the world and to give up my freedom for any period of time was, it was very difficult. It was, I really would not recommend it. (laughs) So you talked about earlier that you wrote a book. What is the main message and mission that you want readers to understand when they're reading that book? Well, the book is, mildly autobiographical in that essentially I go through all many different experiences in my life, like taking up skydiving and jumping into Liz Taylor's wedding. And when I, I became a national champion skydiver, and then I became a national champion uh, amateur polo player later in life. And the things, the lessons that I learned and how, you know, those lessons can apply to other people's lives and how to use this, the tools that I used to overcome those challenges and apply that to whatever challenge they might be facing. And I talk about facing some specific challenges like leadership. Um, Leadership is a challenge that a lot of people end up facing if they do, if you do a really good job, you'll get promoted and you keep doing, you know, a really good job. You get promoted again until eventually you get promoted away from doing anything and into managing other people doing things. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, they've never had any training to do that. They don't have any experience to do that. Leadership isn't something that's really well taught outside of the military. It's kind of like, well, if you get a chance to do this, you do it. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, that's not for you. 60% of of new managers fail in the first year. And it's not because they aren't hard workers. They had to be hard workers to get that promotion in the first place, but nobody taught them how to stop doing and start supporting And leadership is about supporting other people. It's not about, you know, the nuts and bolts of creating something. It's the nuts and bolts of helping other people create something. And it's a different mindset. And so I I have a couple of chapters in my book where I talk about that as a specific challenge and a few other things like that, specific challenges. But the overall message is that Life is a never-ending journey of self-improvement. If you stay on that path, you will be successful and you will be happy. And, you know, finding joy in life is the most important thing. And finding joy in what you're doing and being productive is really the greatest, you know, pathway to happiness. A lot of people end up being in a situation where they're, they work to live in, you know, and, and it's, and it's too bad, you know, to go and and not enjoy going to work. Cause let's face it, you're going to work more than you do anything. If you don't like what you're doing, that's just horrible. I, yep. that's a, that's a fate worse than death. I can't imagine not being excited to do whatever it is that you're going to do. And honestly, I mean, I understand people, you know, have some jobs that they don't, necessarily love every aspect of you know and some of them are drudgery but if if you're in if you find yourself stuck in a job like that you have to find joy in just doing a good job and supporting other people and knowing that what you're doing is you know is productive and helping other people in some way and if you can't find that you really do have to find another thing to do otherwise you're just going to be miserable your whole life And, you know, unhappy people don't, they don't make other people happy. They're not going to, you're not going to be a good parent if you hate your life. That's just not possible. We're not put together that way. But if you can find joy in your life, you'll be successful in everything else. You really will. It's not a big secret. (laughs) Taking each of the concepts that are in your book, what's the biggest concept that you share that from skydiving to playing polo through engineering, through the army, you utilize in each of those um, tasks that you did. Just to not be overwhelmed by, you know, by any challenge that you face and to learn, you know, and to focus all of your energy on that one thing, you know, to have to, you know, have faith in yourself. You have to take a leap of faith in yourself whenever you have to face any challenge. And if you can do that, you can accomplish anything. You really can. 
but you have to make that, you have to take that leap. You can, you can sit there and vacillate about any problem that you have and think about it and think about the repercussions if you don't do well, or, you know, if, if it, if it goes south on you, but with every challenge that you face in life, both personal and professional, you have to reach a point where, okay. And you just mentally, you draw a line in the sand and know that when you cross that line, that's it. Everything you got goes towards facing this challenge and you put no more energy into deliberating or second guessing yourself because it's a waste of time. It's sucking away your own life energy and your ability to perform at your best. And therefore it's pushing you towards failure. Having, you know, second thoughts about whether or not you're good enough to accomplish something is guaranteed to retard your performance enough that you probably aren't good enough. But if you can let go of all that and just take a leap of faith in yourself and move forward, you can accomplish great things. You can accomplish more than you believe possible. And that's true of anyone. When you're doing a speaking gig, what kind of reactions are you getting from listeners? Um, Some people will honestly think, well, that's great for him, but I don't think I can, you know, they don't want to change. And, and some people are afraid. Some people actually find, and I'm starting with a negative and I'll finish with a positive, but some people are actually comfortable in their, you know, with their own perceived mediocrity. If you don't, if you don't try, then you don't have to live with failure. Mm -hmm. But for those who, you know, who, who can, who really have ambition and want to be better and do better and have more and have a bigger life. All it really takes is to, you know, put all of your energy forward. And I get a lot of tremendous feedback. A lot of people like the way that I talk about these principles. I think there's a lot of other energy like Tony Robbins. And there's a lot of guys out there that talk about having the same kind of things of positive energy and believe in yourself and, and all of that. But I think that people react to the fact that I coach all this with personal experience and stories from my own actual life experiences and how these principles have affected my life. And so it becomes more relatable than uh, just an esoteric principle of, you know, have faith, just believe in yourself. It'll all be good. That's what I think. And that's kind of what people tell me. Um, So far, it, it seems to be going well. I've gotten great reviews for my, for my book and uh, the engagements that I've had people like, you know, they want me back. So it's seems a pretty, pretty positive. Have those engagements been virtual or have they been in person? Unfortunately for the last couple of years, it's been more virtual stuff than in person and that's fine. And I've gotten pretty good at that. I miss the opportunity to be alive in in public. I like being on a stage and talking directly to people. I, I have done some uh, in-person workshops Mm -hmm. and to be honest, I prefer doing that to virtual stuff. The virtual stuff is great and, and it gets better all the time as we get more used to this reality, but I like a live audience. I'll, I'll admit it. I'm, I'm a little old school and I think there's an element of, personal connection that you just can't get any other way yes no i agree and that was going to be my follow-up question is virtual or in person because i think with in person you kind of have their attention right there for the most part right with virtual anyone can get distracted you just put the mute button on or turn the camera off and now you don't even know if they're paying attention to you and right that's yeah you can't look anybody in the eye You can't look anybody in the eye. And to be honest, it's hard for me to talk about these things of which I am very passionate and sit still. When I'm on stage, I'm all over the place. I'm waving my arms around and I yell and I, you know, and I, and I twirl around and it's, you know, I'm no ballerina, an old (laughs) guy, but 
it, you know, but there's a lot of energy and you can, and I can emphasize things, not just with my words or raising my voice, but with my hands and my whole body. And that is a huge part of communication is body language. And you don't get that much of it on the, you know, on a little screen, you get some, you know, I'm sure you can see my facial expressions and you get some idea that I'm animated about some things and less so on others, but it's not the same. And it's, it's not as much fun for me. Looking at your journey and the different experiences you had, would you have changed anything you've done? Or do you feel that each stage has gotten you to where you are today? And you kind Absolutely. of appreciate that. Journey Absolutely. It, it's kind of funny when I was, um, Oh, I think I was 26. <clears throat> no, I was younger than I was 25. I no 22. I was 22 years old. I had just won the national collegiate skydiving championships. And I got, I was getting a little arrogant and, uh, and I got hurt. Ooh. I got hurt in a bad skydiving accident. I hit the ground about 80 miles an hour. I shattered my left femur, broke my right tibia, broke three ribs, and I had a concussion. I lost about, I had to go into traction for two weeks in the hospital before they could do surgery on me. And they pieced me back together like a broken table leg. And then I had to recover. By the time I got out of the hospital, I lost about 35 pounds. I looked like I was 100 years old. And I learned so much through that experience, it changed me. It made me a better person. I learned humility, uh, you know, while I was in the hospital. When it took a team of five people to come in and lift me up so I could go to the bathroom and wipe me off, I learned to appreciate everyone. Mm-hmm. And I learned, you know, a, a tremendous lesson in humility. And it stuck with me and it changed how I interacted with other people. And it changed how I treat others permanently. And I, it wasn't that far down the road. Uh, You know, within a few years, I could look back on that and see that that horrible accident that almost killed me was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. The end result was I was a nicer person and I was a happier person because of that. And I was more successful because I treated other people better. Everything about that what made my life better. And I fully healed, um, obviously. I, I was back skydiving in six months. I was, you know, I was okay. But it, you know, it was a tremendous lesson. It was, I mean, the doctors told me that I may not walk normally again, that I, they didn't want me to go back to college, uh, which I did. I'm stubborn. But all of that, you know, I mean, these were all huge challenges. And there's there's a lot about this experience in my book and uh, and the things that I had to overcome and the personal challenges that I had to overcome. But the lessons that I learned were tremendous. So and that was both the worst and the best thing that ever happened to me. And everything that's happened to me, both good and bad, has helped make me the person that I am. And so I wouldn't give up any of it. I mean, there's some sadness in there. I mean, I wish my father were still alive, but that's nothing I could do. The, of the things that I have done, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't change any of it. The mistakes that I've made, I learned from them. And as long as you can learn from things that happen to you, it's, there's, you know, there's always a positive element to it, no matter how bad something is. Yep. Looking towards the future, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, personally and professionally? Well, personally, I'd like to do more public appearances. Um, I'll probably write another book. Um, I, I would like to see that business grow. I have, uh, I have another business where I in, inspect commercial property, and I ultimately want to sell that. Uh, I want to train somebody and sell that and, and move into doing more 
uh, public speaking and, and mentoring of other people. And uh, I want to share my experience and my knowledge with other people. That's, and I guess I still want to skydive and, and I, <laughs> I'm a, I'm the chief pilot at a parachute center here in, in Portland. And I work there on the weekends, hauling, hauling jumpers up in the air. And sometimes when one of the other pilots flies, I get to jump too. And I have no intention of stopping doing any of these things. I love that you get yourself in the mix of different areas. It's not all in one industry. It's kind of a little bit there, a little bit there, and you kind of get to experience it all because you you kind of mentioned that you didn't want to just be set in stone in one thing. You kind of wanted to try everything. I like I like doing a lot of different things. That keeps life interesting to me. Yes. And and I think a lot of people need you know, you need to have a couple of different avenues. I mean, most people have one thing they do for work and, you know, and then they have a hobby or two that they, they do a lot of. So that gives them some balance of different things to do. Um, and I kind of approach the same thing. Work and hobbies are kind of the same thing for me. Um, I tend to overdo my hobbies to the point where they become work, but work to me is stuff that I like to do. I just end up doing it enough and well enough that people want to pay me to do it like flying airplanes, but uh, it's all, you know, it's, it's all of what makes life interesting. And it's always also because all these different things are huge challenges to me. And that's what I need. I need to be challenged. If I'm not being challenged, I'm bored. And boredom would be my greatest enemy. Mm-hmm. We mentioned at the top of the show that you're a podcast host. What's the theme and title of that show? And what do you try to share with em- listeners? Embrace challenge. And so far, my the podcast that I've done, I, I've actually only done a few of them. And it's they're all essentially a rant. I'm by myself and I just go off on some subject. And I, and I rant about how I think that this is a big challenge and how these people are facing a challenge and what, how I think they should face it and, uh, and, and how my principles could be applied in these, you know, in these certain uh, situations. To be honest, I haven't recorded a podcast in a couple of weeks because I've been busy appearing uh, as a guest on podcasts mm-hmm. and uh, trying to see how I, you know, what I want to do about that. So the podcasting for me, is not, it hasn't really taken off to any huge level other than I'm enjoying uh, guesting uh, quite a bit. And, and it's interesting because I get to talk to different people like yourself and, and, and see your opinions and, you know, what, and get some feedback about how your audience reacts to, you know, my shtick. <laughs> but uh There'll be more of that in the future. Uh, my, I also recorded my book myself as mm-hmm. a as an audio book, and it's available as an audio book on Amazon and on Audible. And in some ways, I think it's a better book as an audio book than it is as a written book. Uh, let's be honest, motivational stuff is kind of it can become a little redundant, and you know, a lot of the, these books, it's, you know, the writer gives you some principles and, you know, little stories to apply them to, but it's less engaging than some other things might be. Whereas, you know, a book that is narrated by the author can, the author can introduce their own emotion to the things that they're saying. And I think that makes it it punctuates the the things that I have to, to say and the story that I have. And I think it's a little more engaging and interesting. Um, I don't know how many audiobooks I've sold. I probably should look at that. It's only been up for a couple months, three months, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm very encouraged. I think that the audiobook is a great product and I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see what people have to say about it. 
Um, so far, everybody likes the written book. It's it's a good book. It's it it's of its type. It's you know, it's gotten some. It's growing some legs. <laughs> the final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview, based on your journey and experience. What tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? You have to, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to, you know, to face challenges with, you know, with some, you know, some fear. But you have to reach a point where you draw a line in the sand and you just, you're only going to face the challenge. You have to stop Mm -hmm. holding yourself back. It's okay if it doesn't work. It's okay if you fall on your ass. Failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is part of success. Everyone who has succeeded in anything has failed multiple times to get there. It's just how it goes. And you know what? You got to be tough. You're going to, you're going to fall on your butt a few times and it's, you know, it's going to hurt and you're going to have to, Get right back up, dust yourself off and go right back at it. And if you're always looking forward, trying to make yourself better, trying to do better next time to do better at whatever you're doing, you're going to get ahead. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you can find... I have a website, scottkharris.com, where my books are available. And, you know, I'll, I'll put a notice up there when, this, when, the, when your podcast airs and things like that. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe, and all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.